Welcome to the Waste Not What Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild the relationship between people and the planet the way nature intended by revitalizing our natural resources, minimizing waste and maximizing human potential. I trust you'll discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future so you can cultivate and transform them to suit your own lifestyle in order for us to collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philipparos.com. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. Hello, Wastebusters. Welcome to February's episode of Waste Not Want Not, the first for 2024. My word for the year is evolve, so I'm integrating it into my interviews with guests because their stories highlight the evolutionary journey they've had, finding the hero within themselves and how it made them feel alive and connected to a life of meaning. The theme also captures the essence of all my work and the purpose behind my creating this podcast, which is to inspire the collective to make the most of our natural resources in ways that maximise our potential. The synchronicity of the subject shone this morning at the speakeasy meeting I attended. The theme was choice. The speaker shared how he recently made a conscious choice to let go of a 30-year career in farm management and focus on what enriches his life and makes him feel alive. My guest today, Charlene Greer, also shines a light on the conscious decisions she's made over time, moving through various stages of life to a place where she too is finding joy in a new role, helping others create meaningful ceremonies that celebrate the journey of life. But before we dive into her juicy tale, I'm delighted to share awesome news from three past guests. I'll put the links to their interviews in the show notes. The first is Laura Andrews, who shared her epic experience of a thousand kilometre ski across Antarctica, aired this time last year. Laura's mantra, to live life with no regrets, has kicked in again. She and fellow Antarctica skier, a Norwegian woman, are taking their skills to a whole new level, or latitude, skiing 400 kilometres across the notorious section of the Northwest Passage at the top of Canada in April. My 103-year-old guest, Dr Gladys McGarry, who I interviewed in November last year, is holding a week-long retreat in Arizona on May the 22nd, where you can experience healing, massage, meditation, art and drama in sacred spaces to deepen your understanding of the six secrets to living a well-lived life and how to find your juice. And a much earlier guest, Trish Allen, who I spoke to about permaculture in July 2022 has just been announced as a semi-finalist in the Senior New Zealander of the Year Awards for her contribution to making the world a better place. Now to today's guest, Charlene Greer, who is in a happy place developing a heart-centred service offering sacred ceremonies for you as a way to honour and celebrate every stage of your evolutionary journey. Welcome to the show, Charlene. It's an absolute delight to have you with me. Now, we only met beginning of November time. I went on a forest retreat and actually met you in person, although I've known you for about 10 years. So it's lovely to have you. And I thought your story, or what I know of it, was a great example of 
how we take life's lessons and transition and evolve through life because um, the viewers can't see you, but you're a similar age to myself. We're in our sixth decade together and we're full of wisdom and experience and can pass things on to people to stop them from perhaps making quite so many faux pas in their life. Welcome. <laughs> It's such a treat to be here. What a great way to start the day and start the new year. So thank you for inviting me. Yes, indeed. Yes, you're my first podcast for 2024. And what a way to kick off. I followed you on Facebook when you had your business, Midlife Courage. And I see you as a woman with great courage. But now you've moved on as a life celebrant, which is so much more than what people believe a life celebrant is. So Perhaps you could let us know what a life celebrant is to begin with and how you moved into that role. Life celebrant um, has always been there for me. I enrolled to do the diploma one other time and then decided it wasn't the right time. The end of 2023, I gained my diploma. I did it over two years. It was all done on Zoom. So I kind of really started it with the whole COVID thing, you know, to have something to do, to be with like-minded women that were into the same thing. And it just grew from there. And also through COVID, I kind of let my life coaching business, Midlife Courage, go. I could have done it online, but to be honest, I was just feeling a bit burnt out with all the techno stuff. But it was good to have a break and to do Life Celebrancy because I knew deep in my heart, as I always have, that this is the work I truly need to be doing. And Life Celebrant is really marking celebrations and ceremonies and doing it in a way that's perhaps a lot richer than some of the ways that are being done at the moment, you know, like a baby shower where it's all about getting gifts and a bit more materialistic. Whereas the baby showers that I've done have been more like a blessing way ceremony and they've just had a bit more depth for it. So often we're like the glue that brings everything together and everyone together to make ceremonies and celebrations that have more depth and meaning to them. You did a beautiful opening and closing ceremony. It was very grounding because it created space and opened not only our hearts, but the minds to what was coming in. And as you say, that depth of connection to what you're doing. And then at the end, it's helping people realize what they have discovered for themselves and to integrate it and or let go of what no longer served them. Apart from the fact you're filling in time in COVID, was there something else that actually influenced you to move into the celebrancy side of things because you do marriages and funerals isn't it that you can do as a celebrant well they're the main ones and they're the ones that everyone thinks about um but really we can do anything like i've done um, blessing way ceremonies for pregnant women i've done marking seven year cycles i've done divorce uh birthdays if it's a special birthday you know like maybe a 21st but the person wants it to be done in a different way than the typical just having a party but interesting enough I have four daughters, so I always thought that I would do weddings, you know, that my daughter's friends would be getting married and I would do weddings. But as I was doing my diploma, 
I started realising that it was actually funerals that was calling. And I think it's an age thing, you know, like as you get older, you're looking at your own mortality, your your place in the world, um, asking perhaps more questions around what you want at your death and funeral, that sort of thing. And to be quite honest, I'd been at a few funerals over the years and there was one or two in particular that stood out as I thought being absolutely amazing. And the rest I was a bit so-so at, you know, thinking, "Mm, could I do a better job? Yeah, it just kind of ticked all the boxes from all the skills, as you said, all the skills and wisdom I've collected over the years. And funnily enough, there hasn't been one person when I said I'm going to be doing celebrancy work and mainly focusing on funeral. The constant thing that people have said is you'll be good at that you know, without blowing my own trumpet too much. I think I will be. But funnily enough, this year already I've had a couple of weddings and I think, you know, I'm certainly not going to say no to weddings because they're just obviously a very different energy than a funeral. It's definitely end-of-life stuff that intrigues me. I have a lot of passion for it, but I'm open to do any life ceremonies. I'm calling my business Celebration and Ceremonies. So, yeah, I'm available for it all. It is amazing because it was December 2022. I finished the first year of my podcast season talking about death because it's a topic that is relatively taboo. And one thing I really, really noticed when I came to New Zealand 20 years ago was the difference in funerals. In England, everything's quite pompous and it's very stark and has no life to it. And ultimately, what you're doing at the end of life is celebrating that person's life. And there was none of that. Yes, it is a sad time, but you can have tears of laughter in England. I can remember going to a friend's father's funeral and us four children were laughing because we were having fun. Nobody batted an eyelid, although there were some old dears in the corner thinking it was inappropriate. But we knew that the person who'd passed on would love the fact that we were laughing and enjoying and celebrating their life in a way. And I think that's something that's so important. And opening that conversation is so, so necessary, isn't it? Oh, definitely, definitely. You're so right. And I think New Zealand also kind of takes a lot of our cues from the way that it was done over in Britain. But there is a shift, Philippa, and... People that are working in the death arena are starting to see it. I don't know how much it's going out there to the wider world, but it is slowly their seeds planted because the um, baby boomers saw the tsunami, they're calling us, (laughs) folks that have been born between 46 and 64. We're going to be the biggest cohort of geriatrics that have been ever And already today, there's not enough hospital beds, there's not enough nursing home beds, there's not enough palliative care. So there is a shift, which is, I feel is so exciting, which is um, bringing death back to the home. It wasn't that long ago, the living room was known also as the dying room. And that's really the field that I would love to be doing ceremonies for, for people that are reclaiming the way that they want to honour their person's transition. And there's all all sorts of exciting things happening. So it's just going to become more and more. And to walk hands with that, 
there's also the whole environmental factor. So people are not wanting to have boxes that have a concrete base and a buried so far down, they're never going to decompose. So there's lots of ideas out there around wonderful ways of shrouds or having coffins that are a lot more biodegradable and even green funerals. So, you know, I feel like I've stepped in it um, in a really exciting time. And um, the more I delve into the whole end of life or death or whatever it is you want to call it, it just fascinates me. And and I do have to own that part of my whole fascination is, is, has been my own fear of death. And doing this work has certainly helped with that. And, and I've seen a very common thread that people that work in the death arena and have worked on themselves live such joyful lives because they know it can finish any time. And, um, you know, I keep on thinking, oh, I want more of that. I've got joy in my life, but I could always do with more. Thank you very much. <laughs> it just brings up so much for me because like the podcast is about integrating nature and my work is human ecology and our connection to nature. And you spoke early on about doing ceremonies of seven-year cycles and the cycle of life, be it plant life or human life, animal life or whatever, we go back to earth, to the source from where we came from. And it's respecting those stages. But the other thing that I thought was fascinating you brought up was the fear of death. Because you probably heard of Bronnie Ware who wrote The Five Regrets of the Dying. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating there that so many people wish that they had lived a more full life and hadn't been constrained by what other people thought was appropriate and as you say it's all those limitations that we take on through life stop us from living a full life and once that fear is removed how easy it is to access that joy and it's beautiful in the roles that we have in mentoring for various things we have to go through it personally I think ourselves to be able to support someone because we have a knowing and the fact that you honor the fact that you had a fear and now you've embraced it gives it a whole new dimension so what have you learned from that what did you fear was it the unknown or what was it Fear has played such a large part of my life. Like I think I was born into fear. I think my mother had so much adrenaline in her with the kind of bursts that they used to have back in the 50s. I was born into fear. So the whole fear of death was, I think, the not knowing, I think was a big one. And it just played into all my stories that I had around fear. And I just thought, wow, I'm in my 60s. I just don't want to be carrying those stories around anymore. And obviously, I've done work on myself in terms of lessening those those fears. And I see the opposite of fear as love and light. And so I'm always working at how I can bring more of that into my own life. I also would like to get into is helping people have as much information as they can before it gets to that stage, because then you're going to feel empowered and then hopefully your wishes are going to be carried out. But I've talked to so many people who just don't want to go there. There's so much fear out there. We're not talking about it. We need to get more literate in it. Just in my own community, a death 
cafe started on the weekend. More and more of them are coming around New Zealand and, and they're just people meeting in a cafe and getting used to talking about death and sharing their stories. So once again, we're in a real transition and I think things are going to keep improving around our own fears, our own language, around navigating end-of-life issues and death. And I think one of the big things that strikes me is that we are learning to see the benefits of a community and there's something about being staunch and being able to do everything yourself, particularly for women and I must say for myself. But actually, one of the things that I've had to learn is to ask for help. That's bloody hard for me. But how much easier it is and is quite a relief when you recognise that all that chatter that goes on in your head, other people are having the same kind of chatter and you're not such an anomaly that you think you are you're not as weird as you thought you were to have like-minded weird people around you is just so scrummy and to come together and support one another in your own growth and at times when it's needing to celebrate a birth or to celebrate an end of life and that person it's just phenomenal and the energy that's involved in it and I wanted also to pick up on what you were saying about births, because you've actually been a midwife as well. So you've done the birth, the wedding, the midlife, and now you're at the end. So it's fascinating. What got you into being a midwife? Well, actually, I'm not a midwife. I'm a childbirth educator. So I did a training and diploma. I love collecting diplomas because like you, I love learning. I love being around people. I love community. I love collaboration. So I did a childbirth education diploma when I had my first daughters. And basically that's doing the antenatal classes, mums and babies support. But you do get to be asked to be a birth support. I did that for quite a few years. And I I think it came around because when you first start having children, like finding some kind of area where you can be a stay-at-home mum a lot of the time and mm. also do something for yourself on the side. So childbirth education was perfect because I could bring my babies and give them to a dad that was going to be a first-time dad and he would hold this baby in horror. Uh, but also I was very fortunate to be able to have my four girls at home. And once again, as you said, it's fascinating because there seems to be a lot of women I've noticed that are working in the death arena that also had home birth. So my passion is having babies at home and bringing death to home as well. It appalls me the fact that we have all these rest homes and the way that the Western world copes with our elderly people. And my parents ended up in rest homes. So I'm not putting judgment on people. I just think that there's a better way of doing it. I tend to have a lot of chapters in my life. It's part of my personality. And so this chapter of being a life celebrant, it might actually be my last chapter. Who knows? But it just feels so right and so rich. And when I say last, gosh, you know, I've still got 20, 30 years of me of doing this work if I choose to. I've always worked in the wellness and health profession, and I really enjoyed working in the birth arena, and I'm certainly enjoying working in the death arena now. You hear of doulas, you can have birthing doulas, which is a support person, and there are death doulas as well. And it's vital that having somebody outside your immediate family who's not necessarily emotionally attached can see the bigger picture. So as a celebrant, you can listen to lots of stories, but it's also about including those people 
into the ceremony itself, isn't it? Because a lot of times we give the role over to somebody and your work is about empowering others. And so everybody has a different story to tell about a person, but it's important that it's heard. And I think rather than getting somebody to stand up and speak for the family, well, you can if you don't want to, but it's important as part of that transition part of the grieving process I guess to help those people see that in themselves what do you think yeah oh no I totally agree Philippa and you know there's lots of funeral celebrants out there that seem to love doing the eulogy for the family whereas I'm all about um, encouraging the family to do it because no one knows that person more than the family and of course Public speaking is, you know, it's up there in one of the top fears. And then you've got the grief as well. Also, you know, I can appreciate why people don't want to do it. However, we hear constantly for the person who is brave enough to put their hand up and say, yes, I'll do the eulogy or the three sisters or whoever. It doesn't have to be one person that at the end they are always grateful. They receive so many goodies from, from doing it. And it certainly, without a doubt, helps with the healing. And, you know, this is starting to, talking about bringing death into the home, we're starting to see people that also want to dress their loved ones and be involved in that. And once again, it takes a lot of bravery. It takes a lot of courage. It takes someone like a death doula, uh, someone like myself to be there and hold their hand and encourage them. And, you know, they always have the right to say no, but it's interesting when the process starts, it just ends up being a wonderful, wonderful experience with lots of healing, lots of empowerment. As you were talking before, lots of laughs. They do have the privilege of washing and dressing the loved one for the last time. And, and these are the kind of shifts that are happening that I'm very excited about. Mm. It's that sense of community that is really, really big. And as you say, being a natural part of it, I can remember living on a farm where I used to help with the cows and the sheep and delivering. Brings us together to the cycle of life as opposed to we've been detached from it. I also remember, slightly different from the animal farm, but my sister had a stillborn child at six months. And I know that parents are encouraged to hold their child. And it sounds horrendous time but it did help the grieving process and in the home environment you're not standing up at a pulpit delivering a speech it's a comfortable environment as well which actually helps things and I think the more we embrace every part of life as a natural thing as opposed to something over there and delegating jobs to people we feel more a part of it as well while we are living. Yeah, definitely. You're so right. Yeah, the community definitely plays a large part of it. I know some of the listeners will be going, oh, oh, this is a kind of getting on shaky ground, talking about, oh, would I be brave enough? Would I want to, say, wash my mother and dress my mother and be part of that process? We are so far removed from death and talking about it. So it's small steps, as I've said. I'm I'm very excited that I'm part of these small steps. And I think at my age, you know, we've learned about listening and holding space for people and 
comforting and caring and you really are like the glue that brings everyone together. So sometimes the role can be very small and sometimes it can be a lot bigger. And, you know, you really do have to have the skills of when you've got a family that are grieving, all sorts of stuff comes up. There can be arguments and people wanting to do things different ways. So it's a really delicate dance and getting everyone coming together and getting their needs met and honouring everyone. And, and, you know, we talk about a celebration of life and it is, but as you said, there's also grief involved and we don't want to deny that. We want people to be able to say, you know, this is a really sad time and and this is how I'm feeling. So it, it ticks a lot of boxes and I feel very thankful and grateful that I've done the training, I'm older, that I feel that that this is work that I'm, I'm truly called for and, and feel very blessed to be able to do it. And I must say, one of your greatest skills is being compassionate, but non-judgmental. And you were talking about holding that space for people where there's arguments and things where you don't get involved or make a judgment about someone's opinion. It's really good at integrating it together, or allowing that space to happen and not necessarily stepping in to solve it, but being there and perhaps stepping in to allow each person to hear the other person out you're not going to say one is right is one is wrong because they're right in their own way but the listening skills you're talking about you're also encouraging others to listen to different points of view yeah yeah definitely it's a really interesting time and you know what i've noticed from another life i had i was a nurse Anything to do with death, everyone in some sort of way wants to be involved, but they don't want to be involved. So what I mean is all the drama queens come out and they all get very excited. And even in a hospital, you know, the nurses change when there's a death about to happen and all want to be involved. And I hate to say it, but often it's about them as opposed to the person. So, you know, it is about doing the work on yourself so you can step back and know that this isn't about you, that you have the ultimate privilege of holding these people and listening to these people and creating space, creating boundaries, not judging and giving everyone the space. And there is no right or wrong. It's like, you know, coming together and creating a ceremony that everyone's happy with. It can be challenging. It can be challenging. And saying that just reminded me, like five years ago, I went back to England because my father had prostate cancer and he was near the end of his life. And It was such a privilege to be with him the night he passed because I was very close to him and anticipating the death, you're faced with it. And I thought I would be a complete and utter shambles and I wouldn't be able to cope with it. But my goodness me, my heart opened and it was such a privilege to be there. And it sounds random, but it was so joyful. I was so happy. And the last words I said to him was, it's okay, you can go now and be at peace. And to actually say that, but without any sadness, just Mm. to see him, it was so peaceful. It was quite the opposite than I thought it would be. 
It's not unusual. A lot of people say that, especially if there's been time to work through stuff, to say goodbyes and all that sort of thing, so that when the actual time comes, it's just about being there for that person and um, witnessing their passing or their transition. Nine times out of ten, people say, what a, what an honour, what a blessing, how grateful they are, a wonderful occasion. Um, it's a bit more tricky, obviously, if A, if it's someone younger, B, if there hasn't been the time, all those sorts of things. But um, for our generation who are kind of the sandwich generation between our children and our elderly, we are, you know, everyone I talk to my age are having to say goodbye to parents. And um, it's wonderful if you get to do it in a way that you've just described. And just picking up on that, I can't remember the name of the person. I was listening to a podcast where this gentleman was interviewed and he and his wife had lost both their teenage children in a car accident. And his wife was, I think she was Jewish and he didn't have any kind of faith in anything. And the entire community came around, brought meals, held space for them both and he described it as taking the pressure of them both being in the same house not wanting to talk to each other and and crying and everything that goes on it was such a relief to have these people there to create space between them but also to bring them together it was quite extraordinary I'll put it in the show notes when I discover who it is and let you know but it and he's written a book about it right. as you say there's a difference between somebody suddenly taken from you and being able to prepare yourself but if we can talk about it at some stage and prepare ourselves for it and if we're prepared for it then it makes it easier for those that are left behind because if we don't the people left behind have the pressure of dealing with their own grief because you're not physically there anymore but also picking up the pieces which we can do. And I know my mother prepared everything. She passed in her sleep and everything was sorted. And the entire you know, estate in her life was sorted out just like that because she thought about it, because she didn't want to burden us with all the nitty gritty. It was lovely. Yeah, that's my wish for everyone. But I just hear these stories of, of so many people that don't know, don't know what their parents wanted, um, you know, even before they get to the death stage, you know, they may have a stroke or they may find themselves in a hospital for all sorts of reasons. And then, oh gosh, you know, we're not going to go down the topper because once again, it's a topic in itself is, is the whole dementia thing, you know. So all these things, it's, yes, the more we can get everything organised, the better it is for ourselves and for the, our loved ones. And it's, it's an empowering process. So, you know, I have a box the kids know where it is. I'm still working at it. It's a project I started last year to help my loved ones and hopefully to get some of my wishes carried through as well. Is it like a memorabilia thing as well as the practical side of things? For sure. There's lovely things you can do. Like, um, I haven't done it yet, but one of the things I want to do is write a letter to my four girls and to my grandson or any other children I may have before I pass. So, yes. These days, you can do what you want. The intention behind it is to have my wishes honoured and to make it easier on my loved ones left behind. I think a lot of it's about being open-hearted and truthful about who we are and what makes us tick. 
has there been a book or a person that has influenced you in your life? Well, there's been a few, but one that turned up in my feed this morning is, and I know a lot of the listeners will have heard of her, is Brene Brown. I love Brene Brown. And I was just thinking the other day, gosh, she's kind of disappeared. What's happened to Brene Brown? And lo and behold, this morning, she was on, um, I think, Facebook and Instagram, and she just lost her mother sometime over the last year, and mother had dementia. So this post was about her journey there and her healing there and um, she just writes so beautifully and she's slowly starting to open up to her tribe again but she really needed to take time out to deal with that definitely one of my gurus (laughs) (laughs) so have you got a favorite quote that keeps you inspired once again I have several but one that's on my wall by Howard Thurman and I'm sure you've heard of this Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go and do that because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And, you know, this is me at nearly 65 moving into retirement. (laughs) No way. I wish we had a different word for that. Um, I certainly don't feel like retiring. And if anything, I'm, I'm doing work that makes me come alive and I'll keep on doing that because I owe it to myself, I owe it to my family, I owe it to the people that I work with. We all just followed our heart and followed our joy, I think. It would be wonderful. Awesome. It's regenerating, sowing the seeds for different times to come. Fantastic. So what do you actually do when you find yourself in a funk then? Well, I have a few things. I call it my toolkit. So I have a toolkit. So depending where I am and what's going on, but obviously nature. I'm very lucky. I live by an estuary. So diving into the water. Oh, I just feel wonderful when that happens. Um, I also use essential oils. They're one of my big things that um, I love and they help protect me and get me into a good space. Basically nature, you know, there's all those things that I think a lot of us do like journaling and breathing, ringing a friend. But my saving grace is, is living by the water, which I've done for nearly 30 years. My kitchen looks over to the water and whenever things got too much, I could just take a breath and look at the water and it's tidal. So even if the sea was out, just looking out there, I just automatically felt this calmness envelop me. In your experience, what are some things that people can do through the grieving process to help them when they're feeling really low? The whole grieving topic is another topic you and I could talk about for a whole session. It's such a big topic and, you know, everyone seems to have a little few words of wisdom. But the bottom line is there's just no right way to do it. It is so individual and so, you know, really encouraging people to honour whatever is coming up for them. You know, if they can't cry at the time, that's okay. If they get angry at the time, that's okay okay if they want to move away into a a retreat for a month that's okay there's just no one way to do grief and so for me it's like whatever is happening that person just allow it let it be and and call on your friends call on you as you said you know the meals start appearing just say yes because you, as you mentioned earlier, it's so hard for women to say yes. And the elderly people I'm around, gosh, they find it so incredibly hard to ask for help. No matter what people ask you to do, just get good at saying yes. 
really feeling that grief is not pushing it down or putting on a brave front or something like that, I think is important because we've been indoctrinated. Okay, so you've grieved for X amount of time. Now you need to get on with your life. And if you need to go to the toilet in the middle of working or something and go and have a good outpour, do it. But equally, as you say, I mean, I know somebody who didn't want anything to do with anything for a while and then they came back because they were processing it in the way. But I know people who were judging them because of it. And it's, as you say, everybody deals with things differently and it's important to honour that. So thank you for that. That was crucial, I think, to the whole emotional intelligence side of things. Right. So in your wisdom and um, as your fairy godmother, I'm granting you one wish. Is there any one thing that you would like to change in the world? And if so, what is it and why? Well, right now it would be that we bring our elderlies home that uh, documentary that was done recently on the blue zones and they talk about communities where they're living long lives, long and healthy and happy lives. And yes, food and nutrition are such a big part of it. But the two things that were greater than that were purpose, which is why I like that quote that I read you, and also community. Bring our old people home. Don't think like we're too busy and we can't do it. They will bring so much joy. They can be there to look after the little ones. That would be my biggest wish is to bring our elderly people home and give them the love, the respect, everything that they gave to us. When we, you know, when we were their little kids, their babies. I know that's a hard one. I look after two elderly women, both in their early 90s, and, you know, that's what's close to my heart at the moment is let them stay at home. It's interesting because uh, last year I spoke to my youngest guests were uh, 11 and 13, and my eldest was 103. And we have a tendency to dismiss both ends of generations, you know, too young to know anything and too old, they're on the scrap heap. But the fresh insight we can gain from the young and the wisdom from the old, both are invaluable. And we think we know it all in the middle years, but we can learn an awful lot from both ends of the spectrum. So it's important to embrace the entire spectrum in and honour everybody along that way, eh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Of course, I could have said world peace or whatever. But for me right now, what's what's close to my heart is our elderly. I, I think they're very, very vulnerable. We've got very broken down health systems. This whole COVID thing didn't help. So how can we do it differently? And we need to do it differently for us, for our age group as well, because there's going to be a lot of us. <laughs> and it's yeah. actually having peace inwardly that's going to help that will have an exponential effect um, externally as well so if we have peace within ourselves for the next part of our lives and supporting others in the community it's massive isn't it brilliant well I wish you well on your journey and I'll put all the links to connect with you as well and what a privilege it is for anybody who crosses paths with you because you're such a compassionate person and I know that you will make their journey to the next stage of their life so much easier. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Philippa. Thank you for having me. It's just been wonderful. Take care. Charlene is a testament to the value of tending to your fears to experience the joy of living right up until the last breath. And divine timing as it's the new moon on the 9th of February, tomorrow at midday here in New Zealand. And the energy is charged with inspiration to find solutions for freedom and change. 
So take the opportunity to create an intent to make changes that leave you feeling alive and then act on them. Remember, every small step will lead you to a future full of possibilities. If you've enjoyed the pearls of wisdom shared today, please share your experience by writing a review as they're always appreciated, as are any ideas for subjects or guests you'd like me to consider in the future. Just email me on info at philipparos.com. And whatever you do, don't forget to share this episode. So until next month, have fun, dig deep and open your mind to a world of possibilities. Live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential.